uh, and which for us are all encapsulated in the story of the Old and New Testament. And this is why our service every Sunday moves towards a sermon, which is really time for us to be reminded and reorient around the story and the people of which we're a part. Our passage this morning comes from the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 6. It's a wisdom book uh, of wise thoughts, true statements about life. And uh, you may have noticed that in both of the testimonies this morning, uh, they hinged on a moment of, of tension, of, of darkness, of need. And, uh, and the importance of that and what we learn from times like that, I think, is what this passage is speaking about from Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives, the few days of his vain life which he possesses like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise to madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right. All right, I hope that you are doing well. We are back on track with the book of Ecclesiastes. And um, I am humbled with the text that's before us because it is a challenging text. And uh, the amount of time that we uh, don't have to cover all the details of this text. But it is there for you and I encourage you to follow along. And uh, let's ask God to, to be with us as we open up his word this morning. Father, thank you that this text is here on this particular day for your great purposes. Help us to be engaged in it and to find uh, this, this text speaking to us. Help us find you. Help us find Christ. Um, 
Lord, we, we, we pour out before you our need uh, for you to speak. And if you would speak, we would raise our voice to you and say thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I am a, uh, a kid who's been influenced by some of those early reader books. Uh, I look out and I see some people who are about my age. And when I was in elementary school, we were all introduced to these early reader books. Uh, when I say that, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Would you just raise your hand? Okay. Early reader books, there's, a, there's some downstairs from uh, my generation. Uh, one of the classics is Go Dog What? Go Dog Go, okay. Um, how many of you are familiar with Go Dog Go? Just been, okay, good now, all right, good stuff. All right, so Go Dog Go, is, it is one of my favorite books. Uh, as a kid growing up, I loved, I think I you know, learned to read from that book. It laid such an impression on me, and I'm a Go Dog Go guy. Uh, that means that I like how that book ends. How does it end? Who can tell me how the book ends? A dog party, right, good job, Katie, good, a dog party. And where is the dog party, Katie? It's in a tree. It's in a big tree, right, okay, good stuff. And nothing better than Go Dog Go because it ends in a party. There's not a lot of conflict. There is, there's a lady, a dog, who wants to have her hat adored, and then there's the boy dog who says, she says, do you like my hat? And he says, no, and that's a tragic thing. That's really hard. And there's little goofy dogs. They're well-drawn dogs and dogs, all bicycles and cruising around. That finally ends in a party. And, you know, I might appear to you to be a very serious thinking person, uh, but I inside am a go-dog-go kind of guy. Later in life, a bookmobile came to our elementary school. And there were all these really popular books and one was the popular book called Charlotte's Web. And I got a hold of Charlotte's Web because all the other kids were reading Charlotte's Web. I had no idea what it was about. And I started reading it. It was not part of our curriculum in school, sadly. And E.B. White, the author, did he do a work on my heart through that book? This crazy book about talking animals and a pig named Wilbur who's talking to the ram one day, and the ram says, because Wilbur doesn't understand why rams, sheep don't play with pigs. And the ram says, we don't play with pigs because we're worth more than you. Well, we have wool, and every year the farmer comes and shears our wool off, and every year pigs are killed. And Wilbur said, what did you say? And he said, oh, it happens every fall. You're just getting fat, and, and then he's going to kill you. What did you say? And then, of course, there's this spider who's listening. And I was so drawn into this because I fell in love with Charlotte the spider. She had talents to save that pig. She could have been disconnected. She could have been disengaged, of course, just watching animal life from from where she was. But she got involved. And I started to be drawn into this character named Charlotte, because she got involved. And she, she chose what was best for Wilbur. And then she writes that the famous one, one word over, over Wilbur, uh, and the farmer sees it, and she, she writes in the web, terrific. And she thought Wilbur was terrific. And he wasn't going to become smoked bacon. He was going to live on to a ripe old age. 
That's a, it, was a, it was a beautiful picture of someone who got engaged, and it began to introduce me now as I look back to it of what's called redemptive love, a love that gets involved. And it's very different than go, dog, go. Go, dog, go. I don't know. It's just, it's just a party book. Not a lot of conflict, not a lot of sorrow and drama. Charlotte's Webb introduced me as a child to what is good, to what is better, and to what is best. The book of Ecclesiastes is going to introduce us in this particular passage to what is good, to what is better, and to what is best. But I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for you, and I'll tell you why. Because it is my privilege to hang out in the book of Ecclesiastes and to realize how difficult it is. But it also is my privilege to realize how sweet it is. Because finally, by some time, by the end of my week, I'm starting to figure this out and going, wow, that is a cool thought. That's my joy. And my task in the next few minutes is to have you have the experience that I had. You have the experience of saying, wow, that is a cool thought. Now, I would encourage you to think of this image when you think of the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to think of the Tibetan honey hunters. These are men who hang from bamboo ladders, uh, and they are reported to be about uh, 9,000 feet up in the air with no support ropes, no safety ropes. They're hanging from these bamboo ladders, and they lean over, and uh, they have hollowed out bamboo poles, and they smoke out bees. And these are the largest bees in the world, by the way. Who would want to hang around with them? And they smoke out these bees, and there are these huge honeycombs under these ledges. They're hanging there, suspended in midair, just by this little bamboo ladder. And they poke this pole into that honeycomb, and they wait. And they wait for that honey to flow into these little containers around their waists. And below them is 9,000 feet of nothing. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. That's it. And, you gotta, you, and if you say, oh, I can get something sweet down the store, watch me. I'll just drive down and get a candy bar. If that's your thinking, Ecclesiastes will just bypass you. Just forget it. But if you want to be one of the Tibetan honey hunters, hang on a bamboo ladder and I'll hang with you. And we'll wait. And we'll wait for the sweetest honey because it will make you truly wise. So, if you are a casual sort of, I don't know, pastor, you got, I gave you 20 minutes and it didn't work. See? If that's your stance, is, uh, it, it makes sense that the book of Ecclesiastes and probably other portions of the Bible sort of skip off your heart. The book of Ecclesiastes is saying a lot of really significant things to us. It's saying things like, like do you know that God and God alone can make a ham sandwich taste good? Do you know that God and God alone can make a, a glass of wine taste good? God, God and God alone does that. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is saying. Creation will not yield its sweetness unless God grants it to, 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 to yield its sweetness. That's quite remarkable for us. Well, we, we're used to uh, going to the grocery store and we can get blueberries from Chile in the middle of January, and we can, we can get whatever we want whenever we want, and it's supposed to do its magic when we make it in, in, in our kitchen, and it just does its magic by its own natural power. And Ecclesiastes is saying, no way. 
And it goes on to other subjects like wealth, pleasure in general, uh, laughter, uh, meaning, finding meaning in life. All these things are coming from God. And so I need to study uh, Ecclesiastes and to glean from it. I need character. I need patience. And I ultimately, I need, a, I need the whole Bible, and which, which is a wonderful way to go through the book of Ecclesiastes. So just real quickly, look at uh, where your Bible text is, Ecclesiastes 6, 10, and through 12. And I want to just share with you that the human predicament, just by way of an outline, is that no one knows what is good for mortals. No one knows what is good. In fact, it says right there in verse 12, For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? And and the context here is setting up uh, adversity, problems, difficulties, uh, suffering. Uh, And the, the, the point of this passage is... This particular verse, 612, is setting up the next portion that's going to flow, and that is, do you really know, in your short, little, tiny, tiny life, do you really know what is good for you? And uh, all of us would say, "Uh, sure, I I know, I I can choose the right thing, I can go after the right uh, uh, pleasures, and I know what's good for me. And the book of Ecclesiastes is saying, no, wait, slow down, you don't know what is good for you. And then secondly, I want you to notice that in the next 12 verses, 7, 1 through 12, Solomon, who is the writer, we believe he's the writer, Solomon is now going to move into parables or just little wisdom sayings. And so he's going to have about seven thoughts that flow in these next 12 verses. And what he's going to be doing is he's going to be using sort of this good, better, and best. Mostly it's better. It's better than. It's better to. It's better. It's better. It's better. And so this, the next flow of things is going to say, look, you're stuck in this world. You're stuck in this fallen world. You're not really sure what is good for you. And even the adversity and hardship you may be experiencing, you're not, you can't really quite discern whether or not something good is actually coming out of it. It may feel like it's bad, but God may be working something better than you imagine. And then Solomon now says, but you can do something in this stuck situation. You can choose what's better. You can choose what's better. You can do something. And so, for instance, uh, in verses 1 through 4, you can learn that death is a better instructor than birth. What a strange thought. Uh, don't we get excited when babies are born around here? That's a, it's a big moment in the church. We love it. You visit people in the hospital, and, the, and it, you're, it's a miracle of birth. Children are amazing, and, it, and they're born, and it's, it's extraordinary. And Solomon comes along and says, well, it, it is good, but it's not better. It's not, he's saying that there's a better instructor for wisdom. Uh, well, thank you, Solomon, for ruining our party here. We were just all happy about you know, our growing family. And then you come along and say this. Well, he says, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. And why would that be, Solomon? Look at verse 2. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. You want to be wise? You want to have your life suddenly stop so you can really reflect on what is truly worth pursuing? Um, you do that when you visit the house of mourning, when you go to the funeral home and you are there and you are, you are, you're there among people who are mourning 
and life has stopped for one particular person and loved ones are there. And Solomon is saying, we're in this world and the one thing we don't grasp clearly enough is how short our days are. And so if you want a heart of wisdom, hang out at the heart, at the house of mourning. That's kind of sort of dwell on it, think about it, and you will be given instruction that will help you in your day-to-day life. Uh, it's interesting that people who are older than you, uh, most of the time you probably think they are wiser than you. And one of the interesting things about them is that they have been dwelling on death longer than you have. Death has been a better instructor of them uh, because they're a little bit closer to it, so you think. And uh, death has been an instructor. What's important in life? What should I seek after? And the fool comes along and thinks only of, of, of distractions. The fool comes along and thinks only of, de- of detaching his mind from these serious things. We live in an age of rather foolish pursuits. Um, the whole idea that we, we want to go to, to an evening at the comedy club. Why do we do that? That isn't to say that comedy doesn't have a role in our life. But why do people pursue that so often? They, is, is there a chasing after something that's functioning like a distraction? I don't want to learn from this shortness of life. Second, Solomon says in verses 5 through 6, he says that to be rebuked is better than frivolous praise. Uh, It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise, look at verse 5, than to hear the song of fools. And then this image, this simile comes out, look at verse 6, for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, look at that, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also vanity. Have you ever been camping and you've got, a, got some kindling, there's little tiny spindly little plants, little dried out plants, and you put them there, and that's all you've got, and you light it, and they last about 40 seconds? They just, you know, they flame, and then it's, it's kind of hot for a moment, and then it all burns out and fizzles out real quickly? That's the crackling of thorns. That's the sound of someone who's trying to make something, uh, uh, they're trying to cheer your heart instead of tell you the truth. They're trying to make you d- distracted by some goofy little remark, some funny little thing, instead of correcting you and helping you, helping you turn around. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. There is a conscious effort to put away thoughts that would lead to wisdom, to being corrected, See, Solomon really is on to some things here. He's on to these willful de- uh, tendencies of the heart to, to not be instructed, to not want to, to be confronted. And Solomon is saying, look, you've got this short life. It's okay. Find wisdom. Be willing to be rebuked. It's better than hanging around a bunch of jokesters. Interesting, isn't it? His observation 
about our lives. So important. And then thirdly here, he notices in verses 8 through 9, we have that patient hope is better than arrogant whining. Um, Patient hope, what what this particular section is saying is that someone is longing for the good old days. They're nostalgic. They they have a, a, a golden age in their mind. Okay, And so they're thinking about these great uh, golden days. Look at verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patience in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Solomon is saying to people that who are impatient, is saying, look, I remember those great glory days of, and maybe you have a particular time in maybe American history, uh, sometime in your life. Those are the good old days. And as you encounter people, you're impatient, you're even angry, you're nostalgic, you're romantic. You imagine these great old days, and what they're doing is they're making your spirit very quick to become angry, and you're impatient with people. And Solomon says, you know what? You know what? Better is the end of something than it's the beginning. Now, that's, that should rattle your cage a little bit. That should, whoa, you mean every one of you, by the way, you have a, a, a good old days in your mind. No matter how young you are, you have, there was a good old days back in, oh, 2007. Remember those good old days? Some of you are that young. You, you, some of you, and we can, I won't go back down all the decades, but some of you have these good old days. Well, these are the good old days, and you bemoan the current, bemoan the current cultural s- situation in our, in our land, in our society. And you sort of disengage, and you sort of, and, and you should reflect on that. The, the end is better than, than its beginning. And don't let anger lodge in your heart. Look at verse nine. Don't let anger lodge. That, that's in the heart of fools. So um, even the even the wise can become angry like fools. Really interesting. So um, now this next section is a little bit clunky and and wooden in the English Standard Version. But he's summarizing this, this, and let me give you the, the New International Reader's Version. You may not even be familiar with that, that translation. But listen to this. It says in verse 11, Wisdom is a good thing. It's like getting a share of the family's wealth. It's benefits, it benefits those who live on this earth. It's like having a chunk of land where you have uh, animals on the, on the land and you have crops growing. Wisdom is like... Uh, it's always providing you income, wisdom. is always providing you what you need. It's providing you knowledge like land would always be providing you income. That's what he's saying here. And then verse 12, wisdom provides safety just as money provides safety. You know what? If you do have a, a lot of money in your, in your pocketbook and your checking account, you know what? You can solve some problems in your life. You can. And Solomon's saying, well, that's what wisdom is like. Wisdom is like having a big bank account. You can, you can cope with this fallen world a little bit better. You, you, can, you can do well if you have wisdom. So this is how this, little, this section concludes. And then there's the one final thought in verse 13. Take a look at this. Consider, verse 13, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? This is actually the second time this, is, this phrase has shown up in Ecclesiastes. Who, has, who can make straight what he has made crooked? Now, what God has made crooked is a statement about our fallen world. God has made crooked things that you would like to have straightened out. I would like to have them straightened out. For instance, like, um, well, I would like to have death straightened out. How about that? And you know what? Death is a 
part of my crooked experience in this world. Uh, I'd like to be with my friends forever. How about that? And I think that speaks for you as well. We live in a world where bodies get old. We live in a world where even our projects that we work at work don't quite come off as we would like. We have a standards. In fact, we have standards in our minds. Some of you are perfectionists, and you're, very, you're, you're depressed because, because things don't work the way you want them to. You think about how things ought to be. You want to control this world. You want this world to, you want this world to cooperate with you. And you have every stage of your project is trouble and difficulty. Things are crooked. And you know, what, you know who made those things crooked? Solomon's saying, God made them crooked. You want them straight. You want them different. Are we up against God? Solomon says, this is the world you have been born into. So, what are we supposed to think? Well, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, think about this. God has made the one as well as the other. So this is sort of a little winsome proverb that concludes this section. Who makes the great days that we enjoy and we you know, get the helium balloons out and we blow them up? and have, Who makes that go-dog-go world? God does, of course. Does God want us to celebrate? And the answer is yes, of course. But then there's a more difficult world. And I remember... I remember catching on that this cute little story about a spider and this dog, this, uh, this pig Wilbur, I remember thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, and wait a minute, and then Charlotte starts getting sick. And I remember racing, racing to the end, racing to that point when my heart was filled with sorrow because Charlotte, sorry, here's a spoiler. <laughs> Charlotte dies. I couldn't believe it. Go, dog, go. God has made one as well as the other. You don't know what the future holds. This is really hard stuff. You do not know what the future holds. Some of you are really down right now. You don't know what the future holds. Because there could be good news coming your way in your circumstances. And some of you, you just have the Midas touch. Everything is working for your life. Well, you need to be humble and to realize you don't know what the future holds. And there have been great days of prosperity for you. But what's coming up? Well, God has made both these days. But we, of course, know that we are not only left with the wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes. So, who looks at our situation and knows just how crooked things really are and who can make things straight? Well, he's not just some mere mortal. He's the God-man that was sent from heaven. And he came. And he came to bring us into the constant perfect day. He came to bring us into the great joyful day of eternity forever and ever and ever. And it comes at the price of his own life, Jesus Christ. He said these words, John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. The day of adversity will not be the last word about you.
As it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him learns from him comes to me no one has seen the father except the one who is from God only he has seen the father very truly I tell you listen to the greater Solomon here very truly I tell you the one who believes has eternal life you will not face this crooked fallen world and this world will not be the final statement about your life death sorrow, mourning, all the limitations of this world will be finally dealt with in the work of Jesus Christ. God has made things in this world fallen, but he has brought his son to straighten them out. Such that the Apostle Paul would say these words in 2 Corinthians 4, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, That's the reality. That's the truthfulness. That's the fallenness. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And now what do we think about our our lives? For this momentary affliction is preparing for us. It's working. Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We live according to the the word of God through Jesus and his cross. We live through light, momentary affliction, but we are being renewed day by day. Is this your hope? Is this your personal hope? Do you long for this like those Tibetan honey hunters want that honey? Do you want this kind of wisdom? The wisdom that said, only you, God, can come and make the crooked things straight and rescue sinners from this fallen world. If you want that, if you hunger for it, if you're willing to to say, this is my greatest need, this is what I want, I want to taste the sweetness of this, turn to Jesus. Cast your care upon him, and he will rescue you and give you this hope. Let's pray. Lord, we are a people of hope. Father, we are a people of great hope as we think about the light, momentary affliction. Father, rescue us from our own belief that the crooked things will always be crooked. Father, thank you for bringing the great Savior who came to give us the day of eternal light and eternal hope. Thank you for the gospel. And we ask, Lord, you will stir our hearts that we could love you more, know you more, serve you more in light of all that you have become for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.